show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda, understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. And you are listening to Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. And we're on the Toad Hop Network. And I am coming to you live from Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. That's right. I'm still here, people. Holy cow. What a week it has been. Um, I've been able to get... um, Lots of news footage, lots of CNN and Fox. Basically, I've toggled between those two. Um, I have to send a, a prayer out to everyone who's been affected by the storm, um, by Hurricane Sandy, which started in the Caribbean and went past, um, went, past went over uh, Jamaica, and then it hit... Uh, Cuba and Haiti and the outer bands of it hit us here in the Dominican before making its way up to the United States and becoming a superstorm and uh, creating such trouble. Um, I want to say hi to Francisco, who is helping today. Say hi, Francisco. Hello. See, the old joke is I say, say hi, Francisco, and you go, hi, Francisco. <laughs> well, hi, Francisco. Okay, never mind. We'll try it. Now, Johnny Ice has found something better to do with his life today. So instead, we get the beautiful and more talented Karen Jewell. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hey there. Is Kenny still in the studio? Kenny is. Oh, yeah? Hi, Kenny. Hey, how's it going? Oh, you're on the mic, too. Holy cow. (laughs) We have got a full house. Who needs callers when we have this kind of excitement? Um, There's so much to talk about. I feel a little... um, squeamish about jumping right into political stuff because I feel like anybody who's broadcasting on any level or even having any kind of conversation has to first acknowledge the the magnitude of the human toll that's been uh, taken on people that has been taken on. Did I say that right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the footage is, is uh, breathtaking. Um, the storm surge and uh and and the wind and that crane hanging down and the subways and the taxi thing and um francisco if you pull any pictures or uh, or karen if you put any pictures up too that would be uh for people to see what we're what we're thinking about um huh how how public officials um i mean we could talk about so many things i'm always um my brother, Mac, who is one of the producers of our, our show and who's occasionally uh, a guest on the show and a co-host and occasional uh, guest host or whatever, uh, he, he has a phrase he likes to use about me that I've actually I, – I got some notoriety over when it came to doing publicity for Lord of the Rings. And that was uh, – I always – I'm a worrywart. I always get – agitated about things i'm thinking of what can go wrong here the car there this road that the electricity's next to the lights and any any kind of you know potential hazards or drama the other actors on lord of the rings would tease me about because you know they would say that i was 
too worried about the helicopters or too worried about this or that or the other thing. And fans of Lord of the Rings would give me, you know, at premieres and stuff, a, a, a little crash helmet, you know, for me just to have because they know I worry about stuff. Um, but during big natural disasters, um, I usually get pretty animated and want to do stuff, want to jump in and help. And I'm not like Sean Penn who, you know, rows a boat, you know, in the middle of the bayou to physically hand pull people out of their houses or go and live in Haiti for six months working with the military and trying to set up things. I mean, it's, um, I used to think he was crazy, but I actually think it's, it's kind of, um, he probably is a little crazy, but I also think it's admirable um, to want to do something and to jump in and do it. So there's lots of other ways for people to help, obviously, donating to the Red Cross and um, volunteering and, um, you know, just being an engaged uh, and thoughtful thoughtful citizen. But for me, I, I usually get really worked up about things. And, and sometimes even when I don't, just in my normal patterns of speech, Mackle, McKenzie will always say to me, you know, Sean, you're catastrophizing again. He uses that. I don't even know if that's actually a word. I think it is. He goes, Sean, you're catastrophizing again. You're, you're uh, turning, uh, I guess, another phrase for it is a mountain out of a molehill. But um, there's things that happen in these kinds of events where, for example, gas mains break. And you can't see them under the water, but they're still spewing gas. And so if they catch fire, you'll have a pool of fire on top of the water, a big shooting stream of fire. Uh, and you don't necessarily know that it's there until it happens. So, you know, people are walking waist deep in water or people are on a little boat and they're moving. And then you've got, like it's out of some movie, these these bombs that go off near you. Um, you know, the citizens out there were... Uh, taking ski poles or shovels and they were trying to find the grates in the street uh, and you know without any direction from where they were just kind of waiting out there either in formal waders or in you know some sort of plastic garbage bag tied with whatever concoction they can come up with now never mind that they're walking in um, you know there's there's the sewage is backed up and God only knows what other chemicals and and um, carcinogens gins and things are in the water but there they are you know good citizens trying to clear the drain so that the they can help the water uh, start to go down and you can see it's amazing on some of the news shots these little whirlpools starting you know four feet in the four feet above ground level when these guys are kind of digging at it and you think wow maybe they're gonna have an impact and and then you talk about the buses and you know people needing to get from point A to point B and not having any way to get there and so they're cramming onto buses and arguing with each other and fighting and cursing and kind of the breakdown of, of uh, civilizations kind of little little tears into the civilization when people are are uh, feeling desperate and and um, you know these images of People coming off of the backs of military vehicles, you know, hand the baby down first and then help the mom down and hand the baby back. And, you know, stuff that everybody's gotten used to the imagery from movies. And uh, and it's it's a bit surreal, you know, to see 75 ambulances lined up outside of Bellevue or the other hospital and getting ready to take, um, you know, because the generators have have failed um, they need to take, they need to transport all of the patients in the hospital to another facility that's more ready for it. And, um, 
So, you know, I, I look at th this one and I sort of think, boy, if I was on the ground there in, uh, in the East Coast, where would I think my energy or talent would be best utilized? And I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know. I wouldn't know where to go. I knew the night of the big power outage. There's a, a big power outage years back. And uh, the power went out from Toronto down to Florida and then all the way into the Ohio River Valley. And it was uh, it was like this massive, it was summertime. Everybody was using their heat. And at first, I was in New York. I was near Washington Square at this hotel. And, and uh, the power went out. And I just realized that I couldn't, uh, I was supposed to get on a plane to go home, but I didn't know if the planes would be working. And so I ended up through a long series of circumstances that are too long to go into on the radio show, I, uh, I ended up volunteering. Uh, you could sort of call it volunteer. I became volunteering. We gave it the title the next day of volunteering. But basically, I rode around in a commandeered uh, NYPD police traffic van that one of the e emergency service unit personnel had just, like, pulled the traffic officer out of it, jumped in the car, drove over to the Time Warner building that was kind of a staging ground, grabbed four or five elevator mechanics. They jumped into the car. Then it went to meet at, I think it was um, the 19th precinct and uh, to, as a kind of rally point. And, uh, and I, I happened to have made my way over there and was just standing outside. I, for 10 bucks, I bought a New York auxiliary shirt that you get at like a police softball game. And I put that on and, and uh, I ended up before you know it, in in uh, riding shotgun with a with a piece of paper that had a list of you know fifteen names of or places where people were stuck in elevators, and so we raced around. You know, we were in the Bowery, we were up in Harlem, we were we were all over the place getting people unstuck from elevators, and and so I you know would jump out and direct traffic, and we'd give a, an old person a ride, or you know. Uh, took one person who was mentally Ill, uh, Ill and we took them to the hospital and and it was like being in uh, inside of a comic book in the middle of the night there's no lights and and we're in this traffic van and you know the the ESU guys look at me like where are we going next and I'm telling them but but so that was something that happened I don't know in this scenario what I would be able to do to contribute um, which leads to a question about you know how well prepared uh, was, well, were the states. Uh, to listen to President Obama's speech yesterday uh, with Governor Christie in uh, New Jersey when they gave a press conference, um, I think Connecticut, West Virginia, New Jersey, and New York, I think that's right, were the states that were most, uh, took the real brunt of the, of the storm. But, of course, people were affected by, uh, by it all the way up to, or maybe he said Connecticut as well. Um, so, you know, were all of those states prepared to deal with this catastrophe? And, and um, you know, the storm surge was um, 15 feet high. I have pictures of the Jersey Shore, cabs in the flood. Yeah, please, run, run them all. Just, just, you know, Francisco and Karen, when I'm going on this long, rambling monologue here, just anything that I'm talking about that sounds like it's it would be – pleasing for people to see pictures of it on the screen. Just just throw it up there. Um, so CNN has really changed, I've noticed, in the last few months through the course of the campaign uh, in a pretty 
interesting way. One, one thing is that they're tacking right. Uh, the coverage is sounding more and more like Fox and less and less like NBC. But it's not sounding like CNN used to sound, which was sort of making some queasy attempt at um, neutrality. Um, but now, if you look at Aaron Burnett, for example, um, and Pierce Morgan, they're very, uh, they're very aggressive with their guests, not necessarily Democratic guests, but any of the guests. Uh, they're sort of attacking them, really. Um, for example, the hospital, uh, president of the hospital of Bellevue called in to um, Piers Morgan, and Piers Morgan just flayed the guy. You know, the guy's saying, well, the generators are in the basement because we don't think it's safe for the hospital for the generators, which require a lot of gas or a lot of oil, to be on higher-up floors for any one of a number of reasons. Um, so they keep it down there. And then the, the generators are wrapped in this submarine technology that keeps the water, supposedly keeps a certain amount of water out, but that technology failed. And, you know, all their, all their systems just kind of, just kind of failed. And, you know, I guess it's a, a legitimate question to say, like, listen, is there anything that we could have done? Was this reckless? Was this, you know, but it's so obviously not reckless. And I don't know if they made a financial decision to do one thing versus the other, but it seemed to me watching it as though this is a hospital that um, found itself affected by a, you know, 100-year, once-in-a-hundred-year storm. Storm surge went over 15 feet, I think, 14, 15, 16 feet, something like that, and it hadn't been over 13 foot. The storm surge down in the battery, and I guess that went all the way up the Hudson and kind of peeled across there. And anyhow, you know, it's a catastrophe. And yet Pierce Morgan is just blistering the guy. Well, that's your job, isn't it, to anticipate those things? Shouldn't you have known better? I can't believe that you would, uh, that you're saying that you know that this is a, a calculated risk and that you took that because these are paid. And it was just like, dude, I don't know. I just felt as though that he was attacking him. And Erin Burnett is this whoever she has on her show. She just, you know, savages. I don't know why people go on those shows anymore. Why would you want to go on those shows if you're just going to be attacked? Um, other officials, the big story coming out of there is how um, I guess Governor Christie's had sort of a come to Jesus moment or something where he now is talking about President Obama like he's uh, the second coming. Um, not just offering thanks and praise and gratitude and and, uh, you know, a real affirmation of what the president's emphasis was in his contribution, but just with incredible, just so effusive and, and such passion talking about how great the president was. And to me, it makes sense because, you know, if a guy has the ability to pick up the phone and make a couple of calls and get you a bunch of vehicles that you need or get you a bunch of uh, you know, equipment or get airplanes going or something like that, you know, assets that the federal government has uh, or have certain paperwork pushed through more quickly or have, you know, 
power plant people, you know, engineers who can who can help put back uh, the power after it's been broken, you know, I'd be kissing the guy's butt too. I'd be like, you're the greatest guy I've ever seen. Thank you so much. Is there anything? Oh, thank you. This is fantastic. And how about this? And can you get me that? So just as a pure advocate on behalf of his people, it makes sense to me that he um, has a complete transmogrification from the guy at the gave the keynote speech at the um, convention, Republican convention in, where was it? It was in Florida. Um, Tampa, Florida, wasn't it? You know, who just excoriated the president, just unbelievable amounts of um, just vitriol and bile that he spewed out. Governor Christie did about President Obama. Uh, and I just kind of wonder when, when Romney sees Christie you know, he didn't just say, we really, really appreciate the, the, the uh, efforts of the president on behalf of the people of uh, New Jersey, and we, we thank him so much for that. He's like, he's the most wonderful. He was like his mother. Um, so I just got to wonder if there's some more politics going on there. And at the same time, you know, I watched some of the governor's um, news briefings leading up to the tragedy, and he was pretty darn good couple of the briefings, as was the mayor uh, of uh, New York, Bloomberg, both of them gave, that I saw, extended press conferences leading up to it in the, you know, giving their evacuation order to people and um, going through a list of the, you know, the catalog of the things they're going to have to worry about. Um So I was impressed by them on that score uh, until there was a moment. And Francisco, I don't know if you were able to pull this thing up yet, but do you have Governor Christie's press conference before the storm when he gets really angry at the mayor of Atlantic City? Yeah, I got it. Well, go ahead and play that and throw up some pictures of it if you've got them. Okay. Check this out. This is the night before the storm. The Despite my admonition to evacuate, uh, he gave them comfort for some reason to stay. We now have a large number of people, we can't quantify it at this point, um, that are in Atlantic City. And at this juncture, there is um, no other way for us to go in and get them. They're going to have to ride out the storm there until um, uh, at least 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, I cannot, in, in good conscience, send uh, rescuers in um, as the storm is about to hit in the next hour, nor can I send them in in the dark, given all the various hazards that would uh, occur uh, potentially to them. And so I asked these people to leave. For some reason, uh, the mayor, in his initial conversations with the public, told them he didn't want his people leaving Atlantic City. So you have people staying, either self-sheltering in their homes or sheltering in some city shelters there, one of which is a literally block away from the bay in a school, which is now flooded completely. So for those of you who are on the Barrier Islands who decided it was a better idea to wait this out than to evacuate, and for those elected officials who decided to ignore my admonition, this is now your responsibility. If you're still able to hear me, we need you to hunker down and get to the highest point possible in the dwelling that you're in, we will not be able to come and help you until daylight tomorrow. Please try to hunker down and stay safe until then. 
We've deployed emergency crews throughout the day to assist individuals, particularly in Atlantic City, with evacuation. Uh, but uh, as I said, it's no longer safe for us to do it, so we're stopping now. The winds are very high. We're seeing heavy rainfall. And darkness obviously is quickly creating this kind of dangerous situation for our first responders. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Are you running something right now, or am I hearing something on my end? No. I'm just... Sorry, hang on one second, you guys. Just having a little... There we go. Uh, okay, so are you playing anything right now, Francisco? No. Okay, I think I pushed a button on my computer and I was playing something that I could hear that you couldn't. Sorry, everybody. Okay, so there you go. I mean, that is, um, I, I can't remember in the many, um, I guess the, I guess Mayor, um, Nagin of New Orleans was almost hysterical yelling during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, for help and that people were suffering and that, you know, where is everybody and why isn't anybody helping me in my city? So that's going up the food chain. But I don't think I can remember I'm trying to think of the riots in Los Angeles, hurricanes like Hurricane Hugo. I'm trying to think if there's any, any time that some, like a governor has chastised a mayor or a president has chastised a governor. I'm sure it exists. But I was really struck by the fact that he was doing that, you know, and it seemed pretty clear to me that it was establishing a legal case. That's what it seemed like to me. Um, assigning responsibility for any loss of life to the mayor or to those people who refused his direct order so that if there were lawsuits in the days to come, he laid down, you know, a marker at that point, establishing that his his position on it um, and the state's position on it. I hope that may be a cynical reading, but I'm not sure if people have some sort of a radio with batteries in it, and they've stayed behind either because they wanted to and they thought they'd ride it out. Or there was a lot of elderly people, I understand, who couldn't get out. And, and, and the efforts that, you know, the good efforts that the authorities made to try and knock on doors and, you know, find people. For whatever reason, these people were, were left behind. And if they're listening to the radio, it's an awful moment for the governor and for the people who are about to be inundated to sort of say, like, we're the ones responsible for helping you, and we cannot help you now. It's just an awful human moment when in leadership, you know, in government, we talk about politics all the time. We talk about, you know, Benghazi and what it's like to get the help or not get the help. You know, you try and get your message back to your people, have people deny your help or fail, whatever, for whatever reason to get you the help. That's military, and that's like the, the State Department in a hostile region. But when you're in your home soil and you're at a moment where, the governor who has the National Guard at his disposal is saying, sorry, people, we can't help you. That's a gut check moment for any politician. 
And to think that there's people that were are in his territory listening to that speech, the way I was listening to it down in the Dominican Republic, <laughs> it's really kind of, you know, if that's the last thing they're going to hear because they're going to die in the thing. The idea that the last thing they'd hear is their leader saying to them, well, you should have listened. Sorry. Well, you know, I feel bad. I'd love to send in my people to help you, but now it's too dangerous to send them in there. So I'm not going to send them in there. And I wish you would have listened to me. And I wish the guy you ended up listening to would have listened to me. So whatever, you're stuck. And then he goes on in that. It's almost like he catches himself and he goes on in his in his statement there. It's like he's free associating a little bit. And he goes on to say, you know, so know that our prayers are with you and, and try to find high ground, try and stay safe. You know, it's going to be about seven hours until we can get out there and look at you. But the overriding emotional thrust of what the guy said was, you're on your own. You should have listened to me. And I don't know why you didn't. And, the, and he was pissed at the governor at the mayor of Atlantic City. I'm mostly talking about Atlantic City right now. That's the mayor he was mad at. You didn't hear his name when uh, we played that last clip. Go ahead and play the next day on on, on the Today Show. Matt Lauer had by via telephone uh, Mayor is it Granford? Mayor Granford responding Granford. to um, responding to Governor Christie's uh, you know uh, accusation. So do you have that hand, or do we need to wait a minute? No, I, I got you. Okay, go for it. Lorenzo Langford is the mayor of Atlantic City. He joins us now on the phone. Mayor Langford, good morning to you. And good morning to you as well. What's your assessment of post-Sandy Atlantic City? Well, let me say this. Uh, as devastating as this storm was uh, with respect to property damage, uh, I think the glass is half full uh, and not half empty. Uh, we've experienced a minimal uh, loss of life and injury and I think for that, all of us ought to be thankful and send up a big, mighty prayer. You know, your name got in the news yesterday, perhaps not for the reasons you had hoped, but the governor of New Jersey called you out for your failure to fully evacuate the city. He had called for that evacuation, and you offered some residents of Atlantic City shelter in city shelters. Talk to me a little bit about the decision. What happened? Well, first of all, let me say this. Uh, the governor uh, is either misinformed and ill-advised or simply uh, just deciding to prevaricate. Uh, that is not what happened. Uh, but isn't it sad uh, that here we are in the throes of a major catastrophe and the governor has chosen a time such as this to play politics? I think it's reprehensible that he would stoop to the level to try and make a political uh, situation out of something that is so serious as this situation. Well, here, let me tell you what the governor said. He said, for whatever reason, Mayor Langford urged people to stay in shelters in the city despite my admonition to evacuate. He gave them comfort and for some reason to stay. Right. And what's his source? I'm, I'm asking you, what, did it happen? Is well, it accurate? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that that is absolutely false, and the governor needs to be challenged. Those of you with journalistic integrity need to ask the governor what his source is. Where did he get that information? He's dead wrong. He will join us a little later in the morning, and we will ask him that question. How many people did spend the night in shelters in your city, Mayor? Well, fortunately, uh, most of our residents did heed the uh, repeated warnings that they should flee the city. Uh, as you know, we are a barrier island, and uh, the clarion call did go out from the governor's office to suggest that everybody ought to flee the island. And fortunately, most of the residents uh, in the city of Atlantic City heeded that advice. Unfortunately, as always will be the case, there will always be those who will not heed that warning and decide to stay. In life, it's better to have options and not need them than to need options and not have them. So we had a plan in place for those 
few residents who would decide at the last minute that they would not try to uh, heed our warning and vacate the city, but would try to hunker down, tough it out, only to find that at some other time they wanted to flee. We have that contingency plan in place. All right, Mayor Lorenzo Langford. Mr. Mayor, if you're free a little later in the morning, perhaps we'll try and get you in. Uh, Francisco, do we have, he's just saying, Matt Lauer goes on to say we're going to try and get um, the governor, Governor Christie on the phone and maybe try to get you both on the phone together. And the mayor's like, bring him. I want mano a mano. And then there is a little clip later of the governor on his own calling into Matt Lauer and, and responding. And I, I'll go ahead and play that real quick. No, do you I, have that hand? I'm looking for that one. Okay, you're looking for that one. Okay. So just to kind of backtrack a little bit through what we've been talking about, one thing is, of course, Governor Crick, because I'm looking through the uh, the Twitter feed now, too, so everybody, I love the little back and forth that everybody's got going on. Of course, Governor Christie is going to do his job and advocate for his people, whether the president is Democrat, Republican, whether he likes his policies or not. So them working well together isn't the issue. I'm just, I was just pointing out that it seemed, um, it, it just, it was, it was just such an effusive amount of praise that he was heaping on it that it felt like it felt excessive um and it was a bromance going on there between the two is what it looked like but but um in terms of this you know in a sense they're both right uh linda writes um many always stay behind mayor right to give them shelter governor right to be angry about it no one is wrong i think that's i think that's right but I think the governor being pissed off at the mayor specifically, you know, when, when uh, Matt Lauer reads the transcript and he says, for whatever reason, it doesn't quite have the same quality it did if you were watching and listening to the disgust and fury that Governor Christie had towards, um, towards Mayor uh, Granford. Um, and Mayor Granford, uh, you know, I just wonder if we shouldn't be learning from things like this. You know, if you choose to stay behind, you're putting the lives of the people, the first responders at risk. You're causing them damage. It's not safe when those helicopters come to pluck people off their roofs. There's power lines. It's a helicopter. It's dangerous. So if out of your own uh, bravado or your own, you know, risk assessment, you end up putting the uh, first responders at risk unnecessarily, shame on you. I mean, if you've got, if there's a reason for it, it's America, things can happen, okay, fine. But the mayor is absolutely right. I started, I was trying to think, how would I have phrased it were I the mayor? What have I, I probably would have said something like, you must evacuate this city. This city could uh, be completely underwater in the next eight hours. Please leave. If you have to stay, there will be shelters. But don't, you know, the governor said he gave them comfort to stay there. I just think Chris was being a jerk about that. I think that's what I think. I think the guy did a fantastic job as a governor in advocating for his people and helping the people of his state. It, sound, it looks and sounds and feels like he did a great job communicating up and down the line with, uh, with all different kinds of professionals from the president down to whoever he was working with. But he obviously has an axe to grind with that particular mayor. 
uh, I have not been able to get, and I don't. You haven't found the mayor's original comment yet, have you? Have you been able to find that, Francisco? Wait, the mayor's comment or Christie's response? The, the, mayor, to the, mayor? the mayor. You know, G Governor Christie said the mayor has given comfort to his people to stay, and then the mayor said, "Where did he hear that?" To Matt Lauer. Do we know? Is there so, obviously if he issued a public warning or some public statement to the people saying? You know, we do have these shelters if you stay behind. I'm really curious to hear how he worded it, uh, whether it was a written thing or if he spoke it or if he did a, a, a video conference or he sent it out over kind of an emergency uh, thing. I'm just curious about that communication. Um, okay, I'll look, I'm looking at it. All right. So I'm just curious about that. I couldn't find it when I looked, but you're better than me. So, um Uh, Ravenna Maroon writes, Governor Christie's always blustery. I think it's just his way. However, uh, unpragmatic it may be. I don't know. I mean, maybe there was some utility to it. No, I guess if he was saying it was too late for people to go in there. Uh, he was clearly right to not send his people in. He was clearly right to hold them back and say, you know, wait till, because there's flying debris, there's fires, there's all that kind of stuff. Speaking of the fires, Michael Moore, here's another uh, Pierce Morgan interview that, that was just terrible. Um, I mean, you basically put Michael Moore on your show when you're ready to be incendiary and incendiary and have, uh, have you know, people want to get frustrated about the politicization of things. But he was on there, and I was fascinated to hear why he would have him on at that particular moment. Like, he's a resident uh, in New York there, Manhattan, I think, and um, I think in his neighborhood he was not directly affected by the kind of flooding that other people were. I think it was, if he wasn't in Midtown, it was Upper West Side or something like that. But um, he was basically upset with CNN and all the other news organizations for focusing the majority of their press coverage um, in a place that wasn't giving people the information that they'd want and need. So there was that block. I think it was in Hoboken, New Jersey. I could be wrong about that, but I think it was, uh, um, I think it was Hoboken and, the, and the, like 90 houses or something like 90 homes burned down. I remember watch. I'm in Dominican and I guess I'm on the same time zone as them, but I got back from our movie set one day and I was uh, looking at it and uh, I think at the restaurant turned it on and and I thought I saw in real time what was happening with the burning and the firefighters who couldn't get close enough to it and and this kind of thing. But um, <laughs> Michael Moore was saying he was watching Ali Velshi, who I'm a fan of Ali Velshi's, and uh, and I saw the footage he was talking about where he was in the middle of this intersection where the the currents in the intersection he was like waist high in the water and it, and the wind it, was, it looked like there were probably 50 or 60 mile an hour winds that he was in. I don't know. Um, maybe a person can't stand up when it's that bad. But anyhow, it was really you know, at the at the breaking point of that, and, and the, the water was swirling. It was like he was in the Bermuda Triangle there. It was very dramatic, you know, and I kept thinking, I didn't know it was Ali Velshi at first, but I kept thinking, whoever that is, you know, it's a fine line between making your way to the anchor desk of a news organization by putting yourself in a, you know, a tough situation and letting the people experience it with you and looking dumb. You know, why, you know, if he would have gotten swept away or something or drowned there, you just think, why would that guy do that to himself? But Michael Moore's point was there was a, these 
he couldn't find the burning homes in real time and thought maybe that was affecting something. Anyhow, I don't care about that, but I thought it was interesting. He did go on to say something that was interesting. And because Michael Moore is the one saying it, 85% of the people who hear it will shut it, tune it out, which is why I was sort of disappointed that he was the one that was being put in front to say it. Um, video Mayor Atlantic City response. Uh, okay, hold on. I'm going to look up. Lupe just sent. Uh, okay, uh, I have something sent from Lupe that is a um, that may have the mayor's thing in there. I'm going to send this to you right now, uh, Francisco, and see what you can figure out. Okay, um, if it's got the mayor's thing in there, the mayor, uh, Mayor Granford. All right, so Governor. It's Governor Cuomo, right? Governor Governor Cuomo of New York? Mario Cuomo's son? Am I right about that? It's a political show. I should know this. Um, somebody on Twitter, tell me I'm right. I need to know I'm right. Anyhow, in his immediate post-storm press conference, he commented that the state was going to have to but you got into a public dispute. Uh, the Is that me? You want to finish that thought? That was, never mind. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, all right, so the idea is that this was a once-in-a-hundred-year storm. The third once-in-a-hundred-year storm in three years. So the word hundred-year storm is going to have to – so maybe – it's a once-in-a-33-year storm. If you take the averages, the point is, I think it seems to a lot of people like it might be in the best interest of people and property to start planning for weather events that are going to be this big and bigger going forward that maybe it's an anomaly and you shouldn't uh, Andrew Cuomo thank you okay Andrew Cuomo's the governor see if you can pull up Andrew Cuomo's um, Francisco see if you can pull up uh, Andrew Cuomo talking about climate change two days ago um, and when you do just uh, just jump in let me see here you got which one you got the mayor saying the thing What do you have, Francisco? No, I hear you. Can you hear me now? What, what do you yes, got? Yes, I hear you now. Sorry. That's right. What do you got? The mayor? I'm looking for the mayor right now. Cuomo. You got, oh, you got Cuomo. <laughs> no. You guys I'm, are so funny. I'm looking for it right now. <laughs> uh, okay. So when you get Cuomo, throw him up there, or when you get uh, the mayor, throw him up there, and we'll just kind of toggle back and forth between those two things while I babble on here. Um, I remember when Grandpa wanted me to get baptized. Uh, my wife's grandfather, late grandfather, was just adamant. My wife and I have been together 20 years, 22 years, almost 23 years, I guess. And uh, and we've married 20 years, something like that, whatever 91 mm -hmm. is to now. 
Um, and Grandpa would talk to me about baptism. And he was so earnest, and he'd make his case, you know, very deliberately and in plain plain speech why he wanted that, why he was worried about me and my soul. Um, and, I, you know, I wasn't going to just um, – this was I, – I, you know, I really appreciated it. I really wanted – I really respected him and, and wanted him to know that I was hearing him, even if I wasn't going to go into agreement with what he wanted. And I remember Grandma Schroeder – my wife's uh, grandma saying to me in a much more practical sense, you know, always wanting to be a very respectful wife. She, they're old school people um, and uh, wanting to be dutiful wife and, 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 but also wanting to respect me as well and trying to find some way to bridge this gap that was there. And her saying to me, listen, what can it hurt? You know, what if, what if, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not, if it's, if there's nothing there to worry about, then fine. It's a ceremony. It's nice. And who does it hurt? But if it's, you know, why not? Basically, what can it hurt? You might as well just, you know, take out some insurance, you know, on the, uh, any, I don't know if anybody's played uh, craps, but, you know, you can play on the pass line and then you back it up with insurance. Um, same thing in blackjack. So anyhow, the idea of what Andrew Cuomo was saying is what he was getting at. And then what the much beloved Michael Moore was saying was that, uh, you know, maybe the scientists are wrong. Maybe there is a web, there's an anomaly happening here that is if you look at the last many thousands of years instead of the last couple hundred years that we have data on, you realize that this is a, a peak or something like that and that it will – Following the trends lines, the storms won't be as bad. But I got to wonder what Al Gore's thinking in Tennessee this weekend. You got to wonder. He's, uh, you know, thinking, I, I told you so. Um, so there it is. Climate change, global warming, even if people don't go into – even if people think that uh, – come to the conclusion on their own, either looking at the science or in spite of the science or whatever, or find other science, I guess, maybe. Uh, science is supposed to be science and irrefutable, but I guess it's refutable. But the um, – whether or not man is causing – the weather patterns in the world to change is relevant to the extent that we can adjust our behavior, fossil fuel emissions and so forth. But either way, human beings at some point are going to have to react, whether it's man-made or not, if it is in fact changing, which seems pretty clear that it is. So are we going to keep living along the barrier islands like that? Are we going to, are we going to, uh, design our subways with pumps that are big enough to get the water out. I don't know. Who knows? When it's not, when there isn't a catastrophe kind of, you know, just happening and um, 
people are suffering and people are still in jeopardy and people are, you know, in a couple hours here, they're going to be another night without power. And maybe some people still don't have food and they need to be rescued still and they're not found. And so the drama is still happening in real time right now. So you want to be respectful of that. But I always like fantasizing about what future living can look like and then trying to figure out, okay, well, how can you connect that with reality and what are the what are the steps? I mean, Newt Gingrich says that, you know, we're going to colonize the moon and everyone, you know, it ruins his presidential chances and everyone thinks he's a freak during that moment. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we could colonize the moon. I don't know. It's not that far away, is it? I mean, don't we have that? To- I don't know. Anyway, so that's the dreamer in me who likes to think of those things. And I wonder about how t- how s- society can uh, take prophylactic measures. I love that word, but anyhow. Um, only Earth has been warming forever. There were glaciers in the U.S. Oh, that's another thing. The, uh, the, the you know, Greenland. Lots of ice that used to be in Greenland melted, raising the water of things. Anyhow, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody smarter than me is going to have to call in and share that with me. What do you got? Five minutes to break. Play something good. You got something good? Play the little girl. You have that little girl? The little... Yeah, I got Play that. This is a picture of like a little look to, to me a four-year-old or five-year-old girl. I'm tired. I'm tired of Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. That's why you're crying. Oh, it'll be over soon, Abby. Okay. The election will be over soon. Okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> play, play one more time. Play one more time. It's too good. Hold on. Here comes Abby again. I don't know the context of this, but the news organizations are playing it like it's funny. I always think, you know, you always hope that everybody's okay afterwards. But go ahead, play it again for or Abby. Just because I'm tired, I'm tired of Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. That's why you're crying? Oh, it'll be over soon, Abby. Okay? The election will be over soon, okay? Okay. <laughs> I have three daughters, so oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, raise your hand if you feel the same way as this girl. No, not me. I could do this forever. I love the politics of it. Um, when we come back from the break, I think what we'll do is we'll play. Um, they're back in action now. Romney's uh, been stumping again uh, in Florida and then in Virginia yesterday and then in Florida today. And I think Obama um, uh, landed in um, Wisconsin uh, in a heroic moment with his Air Force One bomber jacket on, bomber jacket on, and they gave. So we'll listen a little bit to some of their stump speeches. We'll talk about how they're uh, threading the needle, how they're walking the fine line between um, being respectful and focused on the disaster, and then wanting to make sure that they uh, they win their election. And uh, we'll take a look at the 538 polls, uh, Nate Silver's uh, polls. We'll talk about that a little bit and see if we, there's an article that um, one of the Twitter followers sent that has uh, a little bit of criticism about Nate Silver. And, and we'll just do that. We'll get back into politics now uh, when, when we come back from the break. Um, so many prayers and wishes for um, quick recovery and healing and health and safety to all those affected by Hurricane Sandy, and thank you to the um, 
first responders and everyone involved from uh, people in the water all the way up through the political class and everybody who's offering assistance. Uh, I did see one thing before we go to break um, that you can send a text. See if I can find this. You can donate to the Red Cross somewhere. I'm just scrolling back through it. Um, you can you can text Red Cross in capital letters. Um, all right, I'll give it to everyone when we come back because I don't see it here. Who knows what the Red Cross number is? Uh, it's a really cool thing. You just send a text and 10 bucks goes to the Red Cross. I'm going to do it at the break, too. Um, mm, mm, mm. You got that handy? Anybody? Um, nope. No, I'm going to get it right now. I know somebody's going to pulse it through. Uh, they do lots of... Here we go. Most of us have kids. No? Okay. All right, so let's go to the break. I'll have the Red Cross uh, text number when we come back, and then if people want to contribute, they can. Uh, thanks very much, everybody. Go ahead, Karen. Send it away. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to Soda Stream. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Whether it's a serious fall, fire danger, or other type of home emergency, Life Alert is there for you. The company with its slogan, Help, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up, protects its members. Here are some of them. When you have a heart attack like I did and there's no one there, Life Alert was there for me. Having a secure feeling through Life Alert is ideal. My independence is possible because of it. Now, Life Alert can also protect you in a fire emergency with a system that automatically notifies our monitoring center. Thanks to Life Alert, you can live alone without ever being alone. With Life Alert protection, elderly people can avoid or delay going into a nursing facility. For a free brochure about Life Alert service, call now, 1-888-443-5588. That's 1-888-443-5588. Call Life Alert now for your free brochure at 1-888-443-5588. Every three minutes, another person falls further into credit card debt. Many credit card companies have nearly doubled their minimum monthly payment. People can barely afford to keep up. Here's the great news. With our powerful program, anyone with $2,000 or more in credit card debt can cut their credit card payments up to half and reduce or eliminate interest charges altogether. We are a nationwide nonprofit and have helped over 600,000 people with their credit cards. Get free of credit card debt today. Call 800-495-1307. That's 800-495-1307. Are you an inventor? Or do you know an inventor who would like to attempt to have an idea or invention patented and submit it to industry? For free information on how to get started, call InventHelp toll-free at 1-800-762-7000. InventHelp is America's largest invention company. Their referrals have helped inventors secure more than 7,000 patents, and they can provide free inventors' information for you. Find out how to record your invention's date of origination and get an informative brochure and other material of interest to new inventors. Get started by calling 1-800-762-7000. 
even if you have an idea for improving an existing product, you'll want to get this free inventor's information from InventHelp. Find out how to try to patent your invention and submit it to industry. Call now to get your free inventor's information. Call 1-800-762-7000. That's 1-800-762-7000. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome to hour number two of Vox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. As I say every time we come on the air, and then every time after the break, my name is Sean Astin. You're listening to Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people here on the Toad Hop Network. And I have an idea of what we can do here. Uh, we have a call. Yeah, have a nice. call. Nice. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Yeah. Good. Okay, great. Hi. Hello, who's this? Hi, this is Linda in Ohio. Hi there. Say your name once again slowly for me. I didn't hear it. This is Linda in Ohio. <laughs> Linda, hello there. Hi, how are you doing, Sean? Good, good, good. Tell me something good. Well, I wanted to uh, hear your thoughts on how all this is going to affect the, uh, the election coming up in just a few days here, um, how it's affecting both Obama's uh, people's views of Obama and Romney, how what they're doing um, is right or wrong, considering the campaign is going on. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on all of that. Absolutely. Great segue. Um, thank you, Linda. So, well, don't go away yet, because you may have a thought. Oh, by the way, the Red Cross number is 90999. So that's uh, it's going to be three nines, or nine zero and then three nines nine zero nine 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 and you text red cross r-e-d-c-r-o-s-s -S, big bold letters and that'll send 10 bucks uh right when you text it to uh to the the group first responders okay um so thanks everybody who sent that in on text i want i'm gonna i'll talk for a little while about what i think of all that but i want people to think about a state either their own state or one of the swing states or more, and to develop a, a, a point of view about what, who they think is going to win it and give a little bit of uh, reason why they think that. Because I have just been having an absolute ball at night, right before I fall asleep. I'm watching news, and then I pull up CNN.com election 2012 e-calculator. You can just go electoral, CNN electoral, and it'll just pop it right up there. And it shows you what the CNN, uh, where it has it. At the moment, it's got Nevada, Colorado, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio, Virginia, New Hampshire, and Florida as toss-ups. And it has New Mexico, Michigan, and Pennsylvania leaning Obama, and it has Arizona, North Carolina leaning Romney. Um, and then uh, for anybody who's been paying attention to this stuff, uh, the blue states that are always blue are blue and the red states that are always red are red. Um, 
And then you can click on a state and it changes the number. You can turn it blue or turn it red. And you can, um, what else is there? There's also, uh, you can look at um, the 2008 results, the 2004 results, or James Carville and, uh, and Castellano, 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 uh, I can't remember his name. He's a good conservative that uh, appears on CNN. Alex uh, Castellano. Sit in. Alex Castellano. Alex Castellano. That's right. I like. He's smart. I like listening to Alex talk. Um, anyhow, th so the two of them give that you can click on either one of them and see how they're handicapping the electoral map. Then I like to pull up Nate Silver with a five thirty eight, and I'll look at where he's got things, and then I'll go and adjust it, and I just play around, and I, you know, I, it's like playing God. You know, I choose uh, Nevada. What if Nevada just went crazy and went for Romney? What if? Uh, oh no, Nevada is a, a toss up. Well, for a while it wasn't a toss up, but for a while it was trending Obama, and now it's a toss up. Wisconsin now a toss up, uh, and it was you know safe Obama. I'll tell you what, I don't know if before I started playing around with the CNN electoral map, if I would have been able to look at a blank map of, of the United States where the states are outlined, if I could have filled it in, I probably would have gotten at least 35, maybe 43. But I'm sure that what like Missouri, Missouri, Kentucky, I would have, I don't know. But definitely up there in New England, I'd be messed up. And certainly Ohio and West Virginia, Kentucky, Virginia. I don't know. Maybe I would have gotten it. But anyhow, um, it's a great geography lesson for me and, uh, and civics lesson for me to have been playing with this, uh, this little thing. But let me first answer Linda's question. And, and Sean, just to, while you're talking about the electoral map, uh, someone the other day uh, posted a link to an explanation of what happens if it's tied. And I looked at that. Really I looked scary. at that. It was really funny. It's really funny. It's a little scary, isn't it? Doesn't it ultimately come yeah. down to Joe Biden? Doesn't <laughs> well, it ultimately come down to the vice president after the, it's all said and done? If, they, if the states vote, then clearly more states, um, more state legislators or, or would go for Romney. So, so, just, so it basically because it goes if it's a that's if it's a tie, right? If it's a tie electorally, each state gets one vote. So Montana and Delaware have the same power as New York and California. Right. And, but the legislatures of the, uh, those states vote, and it's a unanimous vote or a two-thirds vote? Uh, I think it's just a, a majority vote. Hey, hey, Sean. I think I, this is Kenny. Sorry. I think what happens is the um, the Congress picks who's the president if they vote, and the Senate picks who's the vice president. So as it would go, it, it right. would it would probably be the Congress would pick um, Mitt Romney, and and the Senate would pick Joe Biden as vice president. So that's what that's what would be the ticket. Wow, wow, that would be exciting. I, I think there might be um, uh, there might be a discussion of. Um, constitutional amendments after that. <laughs> but anyhow, my thinking is, uh, and I've seen lots of reporting saying that the needle has not really moved that much in terms of independence deciding after watching uh, President Obama's re uh, reaction to, uh, you know, his, his effectiveness after the storm, that not that many independents have, have uh, the needle hasn't moved in his favor. I think it has. And, and my my empirical data is a little hair on the back of my neck stands up. <laughs> and I just get this little sense that um, 
that Romney was stuck a little. I think he, I think Romney did the responsible thing, which is to basically be quiet for a little bit, stop campaigning for a day or two. Uh, he did a thing where he went and and helped. Uh, you know, it was a it was a campaign orchestrated thing, but it was putting food together to send to people who were at the shelters, and he, yeah, but, he looked very you know responsible. How, you know how that was done? Tell me. Supposedly, his campaign went out and bought $5,000 worth of canned goods, et cetera, from Walmart, handed them to people coming to the rally to then hand back to Romney. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's a report. Well, I don't care if it's true. I like it. I like it because I think <laughs> even from a the a symbolic standpoint, um, you know, it's a little cheesy if they do that, I guess. But whether it's true or not, I don't know. You it's don't like, know. But the like, the idea that he knew like, that, you know, listen, when the Benghazi thing happened, in, within, you know, eight, 18 hours, he was on, on television, you know, really going after the president. And, yeah. you know, that, so that issue is so complicated now, and there's so much going on with it. But it was very clear that people all over the world in both parties – you know, thought that that was just a total misfire of a thing for a presidential candidate to do. And, uh, but this wasn't, he learned his, I don't know if he learned his lesson from that or just his instinct were right on this. But from my point of view, the guy did the right thing, standing down for a little bit, having a thing where he's not totally off the radar. He's seen putting food together. It looks cheesy. It always looks cheesy when, when politicians go to a soup kitchen, they jump in a line, ladle a couple of things and they leave. It's like, you know, it's better than not doing that, I guess. But, but anyhow, the well, not, um, not all politicians do it the wrong way. You can now look, for example, at Mayor Cory Booker of um, wherever to hot can't think of what, where he's the mayor. Um, he's a politician that gets in and there, gets in there and does stuff and does it right. Listen, if the Romney campaign spent ten thousand dollars on food, and that food got to people in shelters, then you know he's he's the puppet master who can stand there and put some. You know, symbolically put some food in some bags, and you know, then, know that ultimately say, they, he, he and here's his campaign five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars worth of goods for my campaign. Don't hand it to people behind the scenes so that they can hand it to you back in front of the camera. I mean, it's it's just, it's it's just you know deceptive, deceitful. Deceptive. Listen, I learned when I did the, when I worked with Kerry on the Kerry campaign that. Um, you know, the word deceptive and the word illusion kind of dance with each other. You know, they're on a bus tour. Well, they're not on a bus tour. He got on the bus. They went one block. He jumped off the bus. He jumped on a plane, flew back, made a vote in Congress, jumped on another thing, went over somewhere else and jumped on the bus and then arrived at the next thing like he was getting. It's just, it's, there's a, it's fake. There's a degree of fake in all of it, you know, and, and uh, not all of it. I, should, I don't mean to be too cynical, but there, there is a P.T. Barnum showmanship aspect to this that is, um, you know, reasonable minds can agree or disagree. I'm trying to compliment the guy and say that what I thought he did was <laughs> right in as much as he didn't just keep campaigning straight away. He, he took a, well, took yeah, a he beat. They were probably in some very good couldn't. strategy meetings. At the same time, I was getting emails saying – you know, from the Obama campaign saying that they got outraised uh, last month by 45 million, and they're in a in a in a panic, in a panic to uh, mm -hmm. to try and close the gap because, um, and then they you know the Romney folks were very smart. They came right out of the box 
the two days later, and they started acting in, uh, they started uh, deploying resources to strong democratic states in order to uh, force the Romney, the Romney, or the Obama campaign's on its back foot in that sense, because they don't have as much money. So if the Romney campaign puts money in Colorado, which is going to, you know, which is pretty good, or puts money in New Mexico or in Nevada or in Wisconsin, right, or Iowa, places, all those places, you know, should have been, could be, should be, whatever, you know, according to the, the trend lines, you know, Obama places are trending Obama, at least leaning Obama. And now, you know, if they put money there, wow, that's money that, and, and, and the Obama campaign has to go there to shore itself up a little bit. That's money it's not spending in Ohio and, West, and, and Virginia, the two places it's going to need to win the election. Yeah, um, that's just typical campaign tactics. Yeah, typical. Yeah, which I I love, I I love it. It would be a lot better if the the general public was a little more informed, uh, so that they couldn't be. I don't want to say taken advantage of, but they they couldn't be so easily provoked, or. Um, you know, like with my daughter, when I do the quarter in my hand and I hold the hand over and look, and then there's no quarter in it, and then it's like, oh, it's over here, that sleight of hand. Oh, pay attention to Colorado. Mm-hmm. The people in Colorado ought to show up on election day and vote their conscience, whether or not, you know, maybe they can be informed by the 4,000 commercials that they've seen from either side. But, you know, where these guys go in the waning hours of the campaign is going to affect how people vote and how many people vote. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just always I remember President Clinton when he was governor, when he was running. And by the end of it, his voice is gone. And it's like you could mm-hmm. you could see the the skin on his hand was palsied from how many hands he'd shaken and his clothes. You could just tell that he'd hugged so many potential voters. And and, you know, it just was I can hear people making jokes on that right now. But anyhow, the anyhow, the my feeling is that Romney played it right. They used the time to uh, make sure they knew what their their end game last couple days strategy was going to be. The the public face that he put out was was good and so good for him. But I ultimately believe, and I have no evidence to back it up, but I believe that the little hiccup, the bubble that it put in the system, benefits Obama. I think Obama, you know, it was very clear that he wanted that he did two things. One, he knew the right thing to do was focus on the storm, and he did. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I had a long conversation about some, with somebody about, do you think he looked at Michelle, our first lady, at some point and was like, yes, about the storm? And, and I, my answer to my friend who was asking that question was, no, I don't think so. I think the most that would have happened, and this is just silly, nonsense conjecture that, you know, doesn't mean anything. It's just a parlor game. What I'm saying right now is a kind of closing of the eyes, realizing that it could benefit and, and acknowledging to your own conscience or to God or whatever that you shouldn't benefit. You shouldn't take joy in benefiting from someone else's harm and then opening your eyes and going to work and doing your thing. But if that kind of thing is true, then you have to acknowledge that, yeah, it can benefit. So when he goes on that uh, con- the, the press conference, and we'll play a little bit of it now, let's play, uh, Francisco, do you have it handy? Um, just go right to Obama 
uh, he, he flew to New Jersey. He spent four hours walking around at the shelter mm-hmm. and looking at things. It was like he was looking under each little piece of wood that had fallen. He, and I saw him walking. I'm like, boy, he looks like he's taking too much time to me. Like, you know, the president. But anyhow, then they walked up to the microphone. Governor Christie spoke for a few minutes. Very passionate, very effective communication. Yeah. Uh, the head of um, FEMA was there, didn't speak that I heard. And then he introduced Obama. And here's what Obama said. Great working relationship uh, to make sure that we're doing the jobs that people elected us to do. And I cannot thank the president enough for his personal concern and compassion for our state and for the people of our state. And I heard it on the phone conversations with him, and I was able to witness it today personally. And so uh, we're going to continue to work. State government is here. We're doing what we need to do. We're coordinating with FEMA, and I want to thank Administrator Fugate for being here and for the input he's already had in helping to make our operation even better. And uh, we, will, uh, we will move on from here. Uh, what I said yesterday, I really mean. Uh, there's got to be sorrow, and you see that, and, and Mr. President's seen that today, in the eyes and uh, the faces of a lot of the folks he's met. And that sorrow is appropriate. Uh, we've suffered some loss. Luckily, we haven't suffered that much loss of life, and we thank God for that. But we have suffered losses. And this is the worst storm that I've seen in my lifetime in this state. Uh, but we cannot permit um, that sorrow to replace the resilience that I know all New Jerseyans have. And so we will get up and we'll get this thing rebuilt and we'll put things back together because that's what this state is all about and always has been all about. And so uh, for all of you who are here, and I've met a bunch of you today at Brigantine who disregarded my admonition <laughs> to get the hell out of here, you know, you're forgiven this time. You are forgiven this time, but not for much longer. You know, obviously, this is a federal, state, and local effort. Uh, and uh, the first thing I want to do is just to thank everybody who's been involved uh, in uh, the entire rescue and recovery process. Uh, at the top of my list, uh, I have to say that uh, Governor Christie, throughout this process, has been responsive. Uh, he's been aggressive in making sure that the state got out in front uh, of this incredible storm. Uh, and I think the people of New Jersey recognize uh, that he has put his heart and soul into making sure that uh, the people of New Jersey bounce back uh, even stronger than before. So I just want to thank him for his extraordinary leadership uh, and partnership. I want to thank the congressional delegation because part of the reason we're going to be able to respond quickly uh, to all this is because uh, they helped to make sure that FEMA financing was in place. Uh, and we're very appreciative uh, of those efforts. Uh, our hearts go out to the families who have lost loved ones. Uh, it's true that because of some good preparation, uh, the loss of life uh, was kept uh, lower than it might have been. Uh, but for those individual families, uh, obviously, uh, you know, their world has been torn apart. And uh, we need to make sure that uh, Everybody who's lost a loved one knows uh, they're in our thoughts and prayers, and, and I speak for the whole country there. Uh, for those like uh, you know, the people I just had a chance to meet on this block and throughout New Jersey and uh, throughout the region uh, whose lives have been upended, my second message is we are here for you, uh, and we will not forget. We will follow up to make sure that you get all the help that you need until you've rebuilt. What do you got, Francisco? That's it. That's it? Yeah.
No, there's more. The part I wanted to listen to comes after that. He starts going into how he got C-130s involved and where he's pulling in these people, and he, he's like uh, he's like Patton. Uh, the C-130s okay. is pretty cool. That was a cool pick. Yeah, it was great. It's just that, that when he started doing that, he just really he was just in the zone, and it and it looked like you know. I mean, if I was cynical and I was a Romney person, I'd say, oh, look, he's grandstanding, trying to uh, demonstrate, you know, how he can move heaven and earth. But the fact is, you know, when President Bush all, all utterly failed to have any kind of presence until it came down to New Orleans and, and you know, at, or yeah. Mississippi or wherever he was, and, and at, you're doing a heck of a job, Brownie, in that whole moment. And even President Obama during the um, oil spill. Uh, the BP oil spill, when he was so, it felt like, slow to react. Well, he went way to the other end of the spectrum on this thing, and it was almost like he was going to go out there and fix it all himself. And and uh, But I think he looked extremely presidential. I think he looked incredibly effective. He gave me great confidence. He's my candidate. He's the guy I want, and I felt very good watching him, uh, you know, acquit himself. There, then they're, then no. today, they're both back on the stump. Let's listen for a couple of minutes to, to uh, each of them. Go with Romney first. Let's hear what Romney was doing on the stump today in Virginia. These trucks going across America, carrying products all over America, and during a time when the housing market was in such distress for them to be able to maintain their business and maintain their employee base uh, is an extraordinary thing. And their involvement in, in this, uh, this election and recognizing the importance of this election in setting a course for the coming decades is, uh, is very touching. And it, was, it was powerful to listen to Jake and to speak with his sister Susan. The two of them are leaders, the top two people in their company. They're making products for America. And they and their family and all the people who work at Marvin, they did build this. All right, go to Obama. <clears throat> they did build this. He's still playing on that. See, that, to me, that's a, that's a bummer. He's going right back to that thing that Obama said of you didn't build this, which when I watched it, it was very clear what he meant, which was uh, you didn't build it alone, that it takes a village, it takes a community of people to have an infrastructure, roads, plumbing, water, you know, electricity, you know, a bank that, and, that operates a grocery the, store, you know, whatever else. Can't he was a, saying can't provide that a C-140 transport. The government, it takes the federal government to do that. Say that all again, Linda? That that a state can't provide a C-140 transport to move um, first responders or or people to get the the um, electricity back on from one state to another. It takes. A I know, but the, what that. Romney was just doing in that speech today sure. was playing on the comment that Obama made. Sure, in no, like I, I realize I realize that I realize that, but I think that it's the same tired old thing. I think that's. That was why yeah, we're in agreement on that. We're in agreement. He just uh, instead of building on a new moment, he went he went back to a hackneyed uh, non mistake by Obama. As, I mean, Obama apologized for it. And I guess he said he could have worded it better. But I thought he worded it just fine. I think sometimes yeah. uh, we're ridiculous about that. But go ahead and play a little bit of Obama. Let's see if he uh, if he sounds better or if it's the same old, same old. OK, uh, it's Obama in Green Bay. Green Bay today, yeah, be with for a long jacket looking like, uh... But, you know, we've also been inspired these past few days. Because when disaster strikes, we see America at its best. One country! All the petty differences that consume us in normal times 
all seem to melt away. There are no Democrats or Republicans during a storm. They're just fellow Americans. Leaders of different parties working to fix what's broken. Neighbors helping neighbors cope with tragedy. Communities rallying to rebuild. A spirit that says, in the end, we're all in this together. That we rise or fall as one nation, as one people. Well, that, that spirit has guided this country along its improbable journey for more than two centuries. It's carried us through the trials of the last four years. In 2008, we're in the middle of two wars and the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Today, our businesses have created over five million new jobs. The American auto industry is back on top. American manufacturing is growing at the fastest pace in 15 years. We're less dependent on foreign oil than at any time in 20 years. Home values are on the rise. Thanks to the service and sacrifice of our brave men and women in uniform, the war in Iraq is over. The war in Afghanistan is winding down. Al-Qaeda has been decimated. Osama bin Laden is dead. All right. All right. Well... I think his certainly um, a more inspiring message, I think, than than Romney's. Well, he's back to the 2004 Obama. We're not red states or blue states for the United States. He's back to Obama in Chicago in 2008. You know, and I'm going to be the president of all the people. You got to know that the Republicans listening and are are thinking, you're not a guy who actually works with people. You're a guy who gets there and then says, I won, it's my ball, it's my way or the highway, and that's that. That's what Republicans think when they hear that, I would think. But does it matter what Republicans think, or does it matter what the independents and the undecideds think? No, of course it matters what Republicans think. Because if the if the if what ultimately we want is for the country to get governed properly, you have to be able to try and read the tea leaves and say what's likely to happen. This storm, the fact that it's like submerged the financial district of the world for a minute, and the fact that it's you know along the eastern seaboard, I just feel like it's it's almost a palate cleanse. Palate is probably the wrong word. It's a, it's it could have a healing, a cleansing quality, so that it gives political cover to Republicans and Democrats to sort of say like, well, you know what, let's let's all work together and get, I don't know, immigration done. Let's let's make sure we take health care, you know, to the next level so that it doesn't have all the bad things. Let's, you know, cut back, whatever you can. It gives them you can create a feeling of unity so that people can work together. I think out of most disasters, there is that opportunity. Everybody realizes that the best part of ourselves is able to come out when you you know, help your neighbor down the street or you help rescue somebody, you help, you know, whatever that physical in the immediate thing, but it also creates a tonality. And so you got to think who's going to best be able to capitalize on that, Romney or Obama? For Obama, I think, I think in, in his heart, Obama wants to believe that when he got to Washington, he was willing and able and ready to uh, collaborate 
as long as they realized, they Republicans, his opponent, that he did win a mandate and a huge victory, and they did control all three branches or all three, you know, whatever, legislative, you know, the, the Congress and the presidency. The Democrats had both, all three. You know, so uh, they, they, they should be paid a cer certain deference to, but he'd be willing to work. And the Repub and Democrats say the Republicans stepped up day one, before January 31st, 20th, whatever it is, before January 2009, and said our number one mission is to defeat Obama in four years. And so they spent four years grudgingly, willingly, you know, being grudging and willing to only work on certain things because they were sticking to principles, a time when the extremes just radicalized. The Tea Party came in and, and just really, you know, started to set the agenda or at least really curtail the agenda for, I'm not curtail, but, you know, move the agenda in a certain direction to the, to the farther right for, the, for them. And so now you got to think, okay, does a clearly reinvigorated Obama have now the wisdom, the experience, the temperament to, to, to in re-election in a second term, finally manifest part of himself that was promised in 2008 that did not come to pass. He promised that he would work together. He didn't. Now, he would say the reason he didn't is because they wouldn't. But that's not what we paid for. When we paid for Obama, we paid for a guy who was going to find a way to make it happen, work together, failed. Bush, same thing. He came to power saying he was going to make it work, failed. So, you know. The question has to be, is Obama in this moment going to be able to, to do that? Or is it going to be a question of what Gingrich and others would say, if Obama gets a second term, his, because he doesn't have anything to lose, his second agenda will be radicalized. And now we'll have latitude to work with well, Putin. I, I think, I think that, that particular idea is like just nonsense. That, I don't know um, if it's nonsense. The second, the second turn, he'd go for broke and, you know, destroy our country in some way or another, and socialism will take over the world. Um, that's just nonsense and fear-mongering. Well, okay. But the, but the, but the question is, would, would Romney, you know, what, what happened if Romney's elected? Will he be better at making us united, bringing us together, giving us a common vision? for not just the 1% or not just the 47% or whatever, but for all of us? Um, has he provided some vision as to how he can truly lead us as one nation? I don't know that he's done that either. At least half of the voters say yes. <laughs> at least half of the, well, at the moment, in there, a lot of polls where it's even. I don't yes, know. I mean, for do me, or yes, uh, he, he's revealed like himself to like me Obama. not just, Go ahead. Go ahead. Is, is he or half the voters saying yes? They prefer. They think Romney can do that, or are they, are they saying that they dislike him less than they dislike Obama? Seems to me that the vast majority of voters this time around are are picking, you know, not the one that they really think can get the job done, but the one that they think won't do it as badly as the other. Well, that's the, that's always the case, candidates. isn't it? In my lifetime, people, you know, the lesser of two evils is the way a lot of people in the public 
like to talk. I think sometimes the, the reason people say that when they're in conversations at a coffee shop or at a gas station when they're talking to their friend or something, I think it's because it's a safe way to start a political conversation because it creates agreement with the person you're talking to. And then you can kind of start to tease out areas where you, you might agree or disagree and you can find your way in a conversation. I think it's a discursive um, oh, I don't know. reality. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Democrat. I'm a liberal. Um, I'm probably far more liberal than you are. Um, but I've been disappointed in the job that Obama's done. But I'm terrified of the thought of an omnipresidency and mostly in terms of civil liberties um, and progress that we've made in the rights of individuals. And I know that the uh, conservatives like to talk about the rights of individuals, but yet they seem to be the ones that want to take them away the most. And I fear what sort of people will be put on the Supreme Court during a Romney administration and how that will have effects for decades. Mm. Well... I think what I saw today is that the Obama camp is going to go long on emphasizing what you just said uh, in the in these last few days. Um, let me let me re I want to okay. So I think Romney has revealed himself lately as a guy who's willing to go to the center, closer to the center on some issues, at least rhetorically. Um, in order to get elected. I think that also means that in order to succeed, he might be willing to work with uh, people across the aisle as well. I, I just, it's, it may not logically make sense what I just said, but I feel like, you know, just picturing him in the White House, totally flipping the bird to all the Democrats. I don't know. I don't see him doing that. I don't see him doing that. I think he is. Uh, I, I think he's more center than the radical guy who was uh, not center. I don't think he's as radical as he purported to be during the primaries. But I definitely agree with you that, you know, he that you should take him at his word. That he would it's try and, you know, whatever. He, he doesn't think that private uh, that. Um, Planned Parenthood should be funded. He doesn't think that there should be abortions. He does say in case of rape and incest. He doesn't they, think they, that FEMA should be funded until this happens, and then he says, yes, FEMA should be funded. That was another complete 180 from what he said earlier in the, during the primaries. Well, he didn't think, yeah. he didn't think FEMA needed to exist. Because no, well, he thinks that the same amount of money that FEMA is spending. privatized, so, he said. He said it should, that money should go to the states. And the states well, know best privatized. how to take care of themselves. Go on. Well, and now he's saying, and now he's saying that, oh yes, FEMA needs, you know, he he would give FEMA all the funding that they need to get their job done. He completely changed his mind. What does he believe? Does he think FEMA has a role to play or not? Depends on whether you asked him a week ago or you asked him today. All right. All right, Linda, you are a, uh, a dutiful soldier for the left. Obviously, you and I are, are uh, you know, we, we, we think along the same lines. But for the purpose of this show, I want to be able to be um, uh, I want another I have another caller coming in. So maybe it's someone to okay. uh, maybe it's going to be Brett calling it to, to uh, offer a contrary point of view. <laughs> Oh, they hung up. Okay. All right, Linda, I'm going to shift for the moment into, uh, okay. into Nate Silver. Thank you for calling in uh, and, and keeping right, it real you. for us.
Is Linda gone as well? Okay. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read this article that someone on Twitter sent. It's from the Atlantic Wire, What Matters Now? And its title is Nerds Rush to Nate Silver's Defense. So Nate Silver, let me look and see what we got here. Two new calls. Okay, bring them on. You're on the air. Hello. Hey, who's this? Hey, it's Brett. Brett, all right, we got a good fill of uh, of left leaning stuff. Let, let me hear some right. Throw some right at me. <laughs> well, uh, I, I I disagree with her for quite a few things there, and and uh, I worry uh, about many of the same things she does about the court going in the other direction. Um, I, uh, in fact, that's one of my main reasons for voting against Obama is I'm quite concerned about who he would put on a court and what that would mean for the country and what would that would mean for some of the civil liberties that I hold pretty dear. Specifically, so why don't you Amendment give rights. me something on um, the vision of the country that Romney offers? You know, to be honest, I don't think the vision of the country that Romney offers is all that radically different from the vision of the country that Obama offers. They're both pretty close to the middle. You're killing and, me. You're my conservative, man. I don't I, get I, it. You know, that's, that's actually, I would like a more conservative guy or a true conservative guy, but there hasn't been one of those in, I don't know how long, since Reagan, I guess. But, um, you know, the problem, the problem with Romney is, is in terms of the way the campaigns have been run, is everybody seems to be, you know, judging everything based on the primaries, which it, to me is silly because everybody always presents the best face for what other far end that they need to in order to get that primary vote, and then they tack back to wherever they normally are going to be in order to get the, the regular vote. If you take a look at his gubernatorial run, Romney is about as middle of the road as you're going to get. He's got some very conservative ideals about certain things, right? you know, things like abortion and whatnot, which I don't really agree with him on. Um, but uh, uh, I'm not a true conservative, I guess, in terms – or at least I'm not a Republican in hey, terms of hey, what Brett, I think about that. Brett, yeah. Brett, can you hear me? Yes. I just I just I could hear people's heads explode when you said and whatnot. But go on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, there, there are several whatnot, things like, like oh, what are you talking about? Actually disagree go ahead. Go ahead. He, I was on. kind of making the same point to Linda that that there is a he's revealed himself as a little more centrist than he was in the, uh, the primaries, probably because he knows that's what he needs to do to get elected. But I also think it shows you that likely, you know, he'll he'll work with people. He'll kind of go where you need to go to get stuff done. That's the feeling I get a little bit. Well, that's the record he had in the state of Massachusetts. You know, I mean, he was working with an 85 percent Democrat legislature and he had to work with them to get stuff done. And he, he got a lot of the stuff he wanted to get done as well as uh, in terms of cuts uh, and, and to help turn around their their budget. Uh, and at the same time, he did what he had to do to to uh, reach across the aisle, and that's really what the name of the game is supposed to be. You're not supposed to make the other party, and I'm going to bag on on your guy a little bit, ride at the back of the bus. Okay, you're riding on the same bus going that same direction. Pretty sure that's a racist thing you just said. Lead from that's the back what he is, said. is a military thing, but ride in the back of the bus is not a that good thing. That is what say. he said. They can be on the bus with us, but they're going to ride in the back. That is an Obama quote, not an exact direct. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but I can look it up if you like. No, it's he one of those double standards it, where he can know, say it and you can't. <laughs> but go ahead. I take your point. Uh, in any case, you know, he was pretty firmly in control in his first two years, knew that he was going to be able to be firmly in control, 
And and I think that he, he got done at least some of what he wanted to. I'm surprised he didn't push through more. He could have with the Congress that he had. Um, but I, I'm much more concerned with a lot of the civil liberties problems that, that, that really have kind of escaped most of the public debate, certainly have not really been part of the uh, uh, the campaign at all, um, that, you know, this president has, has – part of which he campaigned against – um, you know, he was he was very vocal about uh, the Patriot Act and aspects of the Patriot Act, and yet his administration has done more uh, warrantless wiretaps in three or four years now than than the Bush administration did in eight. Um, Probably not as much rendition me. and that kind of stuff, though. Yeah, and, and so that bothers me. And and what's going to happen with the Second Amendment if we sweep sweep the court in the other direction? Because the dissenting votes on Heller and McDonald were pretty vocal against uh, the assent, and so you know that's a problem for me. You know, as as somebody that that you know carries a, a handgun every day and and shoots for sport, and um, you know that that's a that's a, a big part of what I care about. Were you satisfied with Romney's answer in? Um in where was this debate held? It was in Colorado. The second one was in. Where's this? Oh, I, mean, I don't. I don't remember. I watched. The, I read the transcripts and look at the fact checker. I can't. Town, well, you gotta watch them nowadays. It's important to watch them. But the, uh, the second debate, which the town hall debate, was the last one. I think was in Florida. It was in Minnesota. I can't remember where it was now. But anyhow, the, uh, Romney was asked first about the girl. She said asked him about gun control. I can't remember who was asked. But anyway, I definitely remember his answer. I remember Obama's answer. Do you have a vague recollection of how they handled that? Yeah, it, they handled it very quickly. And uh, yeah, they did. Um, they disposed it. You know, Romney, well, you know, basically, gun, you know, machine guns, of course, illegal. But uh, so I won't change anything like that. We enforce laws we have. And then he kind of, I don't know, if I was living in Chicago of all places or anywhere. Cities where the murder rate is going high, going sky high because of uh, whatever background checks or illegal weapons purchased it, whatever. I don't know. I, some something's got to be done there on the border. Uh, people killing each other with guns. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how to do it, but I take your point, and I think um, people should be aware of the fact that the second that might get some attention at some point, and if you right. feel like that. If that's a decider for you, then and there, there's the issue also that they, you know, with the defense, uh, one of the defense appropriations bills that they, you know, basically said that they could take out an American if they needed to without due process, or hold somebody on on uh, on suspicion of terror again without due process. Um, that that made it into the law very quietly. Um, there's some of the some of the things that they've done with the internet law and and about the uh, with, actor, right? Pardon me? I'm having a real hard time hearing you. <laughs> Sorry, my friend. You're talking about the Patriot Act, right? No, no, this isn't the Patriot Act, actually. This was something new, and it came shortly after we took out that guy in Yemen um, uh, who was an al-Qaeda uh, operative, one of the leaders, and, and we hit him with a drone, and there was a bit of concern because he was an American citizen. Uh, I didn't really have that much concern. I think a writ of Congress or something would be enough to to state, look, we can't get this guy, and he's enough of the enemy of the state that, you know, we're going to revoke his citizenship. But you know, the way the wording on on the legislation uh, uh, included some wording that allowed them to designate somebody uh, a, basically a terrorist, and that they could hold them, you know, without going through the courts and go through a military tribunal. 
And that was one of the things that he was very adamant against as a senator, um, which, you know, I was pretty adamant against Bush and his policy with that uh, as well. And, you know, I think that that's a big problem, you know. And All right, take, take, uh, take 45 seconds because I want to get over to this um, uh, electoral thing for before we get off the phone because this may be the last few minutes that this show – uh, speaks before the election, so so give, give, give me uh, give me forty five seconds of why you think the listeners should vote for. Well, you know, I I, I think the last four years uh, didn't turn out the way that uh, they should have, and I don't think that uh, the kind of leadership that we need uh, we got, and I think it's time to turn it back around. And I think that if you're worried about your civil rights, then Ronnie's the guy you need to vote for. He may not be the best guy, but he's the only guy to vote for if if you're not happy with the status quo, and I'm not. Cool. All right. Cool, man. All right. That's right. Have a great one, sir. I, I think uh, I think you and both said about she may have gotten she spent a little bit more time on uh, on her point of view, but uh, fair enough. I think the audience got a good uh, a good thing. I'll give my take before we hang up. All right, then. Have a good okay. One. Nerds right. rush to Nate Silver's defense. Nate Silver is the uh, is the is the uh, silver standard, the gold standard. Thanks very much for that, Jeff. Uh, on um, let me just see what people are telling me here. Let's take a break. You're picking up. We should call you back. All right, everybody, we're gonna take a quick break. We're back in uh, 60 seconds. Listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath and Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart, or just go to Soda Stream. Whether it's a serious fall, fire danger, or other type of home emergency, Life Alert is there for you. The company, with its slogan "Help, I've fallen and I can't get up," protects its members. Here are some of them. When you have a heart attack like I did and there's no one there, Life Alert was there for me. Having a secure feeling through Life Alert is ideal. My independence is possible because of it. Now, Life Alert can also protect you in a fire emergency with a system that automatically notifies our monitoring center. Thanks to Life Alert, you can live alone without ever being alone. With Life Alert protection, elderly people can avoid or delay going into a nursing facility. For a free brochure about Life Alert service, call now, 1-888-443-5588. That's 1-888-443-5588. Call Life Alert now for your free brochure at 1-888-443-5588. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Everybody, we're back. The last 15 minutes of Vox Populi before the 2012 presidential election. Wow, that's exciting. I might try and do a little something. 
the day before the day of Election Day. But assuming this is it, I want to go ahead and look at some of these stats. I'm going to read this article, sort of speed read it. Nerds rush to Nate Silver's defense. Nate Silver being the great pollster. If you go to 538, 538, uh, you can see uh, kind of poll polls and an analysis, and it's kind of fun and colorful. And, all right. Elspeth Reeve, and she writes, The great war between people who write about politics for a living is not between liberals and conservatives, but between humanities majors and math nerds. And their battleground is currently the validity of Nate Silver's 538 election prediction model. The English major has been writing the presidential race is a total toss-up, down-to-the-wire nail-biter. The math nerds, most prominently Silver, have been writing that actually the race has been pretty stable and President Obama has a solid chance of winning. A 72.9% chance in Silver's estimation. The week before Election Day, the English majors launched a major offensive against the math nerds, who pose a threat to a fierce urgency of their headlines. Quote, Nate Silver, one-term celebrity, Politico's Dylan Byers, asked Monday, chronicling the complaints of David Brooks, Joe Scarborough, and others whose livelihoods depend on people caring about their subjective feelings about elections, saying they think Silver's overrated. On Tuesday, nerds rallied to the defense of their own. For a long time, most discussion of who will win the election has been dominated by pundits who depend, quote, heavily on qualitative impressions and hazy narratives. Dartmouth professor Brendan Nyhan writes at Columbia Journalism Review. But as the audience for quantitative analysis of politics has grown, analysis like Silver's, the establishment analysts, uh, analysts, have become increasingly defensive about their status. You see that in articles like the ones by Politico's buyers, who suggest that if Romney wins the election, Silver's career is toast. That seems to show a lack of understanding of the difference between analyzing the probability something will happen and predicting that for sure that thing will happen. A 25% chance of something happening is still a pretty solid chance, and Silver's model is actually one of the more conservative. Nyhan demonstrates in some handy charts seen at left comparing 538s to other model, 538 to other models. And this is an amazing little graphic. It's got prob probability of Obama win, and it's got these different uh, pollsters. Betfair has him winning 68%. Desart Holbrook has Obama winning 88%. In Trade has Obama winning at 61%. Silver at 72 or something, whatever it is. And then Wang at almost 90%. Interesting. Um, whatever objection pundits or conservatives may have is with the state of publicity available. The, the sorry, whatever objection pundits or conservatives may have is with the state of the publicly available evidence or the way in which forecasters and betters translate that evidence into probabilities, not with silver or his methods. Nyan says it's worth noting that in its Politico's writers. As the Washington Post's Ezra Klein points out, who have made some of the most downright weird arguments for why silver is wrong. For example, Politico's Jonathan Martin tweeted, avert your gaze, liberals. Nate Silver admits he's simply averaging public polls and there's no secret sauce. The lack of secret sauce is not a bug, it's a feature. Sure, you can criticize Silver for not making his proprietary model public or for leaning too heavily on polls or that he adds unnecessary factors, Klein says. But the idea that shows Obama winning is silly. So do most other models. 
But it makes sense that a lot of the otter critiques of Silvers have been coming out of Politico. Klein writes, he's a threat to the horse race journalism, which Politico specializes in. So what seems like a debate over the value of Silver's work is really a debate over the value of Politico. I just felt like reading that to you guys. And now I want to go to 538 for a second. This is what Nate Silver writes today. Obama's electoral college firewall holding in polls. That's today at 10, 16 a.m. October 11th, this blog posed the question of whether President Obama's firewall in battleground states was all that it was cracked up to be. At that point, Mr. Obama still technically held the lead in the 538 forecasts in enough states to give him 270 electoral votes. But Colorado, Florida, and Virginia had turned red in our map, meaning that our forecast suggested that Mitt Romney had better than even odds of winning them. Iowa was just on the verge of doing so, and Mr. Obama's lead was down to just a percentage point or so in Ohio, which would have collapsed his firewall at its foundation. Theories that the decline in Mr. Obama's polls that followed the first presidential debate in Denver would somehow skip the swing states were not looking good, as dubious as the idea that tornadoes skip houses. Instead, at that point, Mr. Obama's position in the 538 forecast had declined for seven consecutive days. If he stopped the bleeding there, he might still be the Electoral College favorite, albeit a narrow one, but it wasn't clear where the bottom was. It turned out, however, that the worst was almost over for him. Mr. Obama had one more terrible day in the polls on Friday, October 12th, when Mr. Romney's chances of winning the Electoral College rose to almost 40 percent in the forecast. But that was when Mr. Romney's momentum stopped. Since then, Mr. Obama's standing has rebounded slightly. His position in the nation, national polls is stabilized, although the national polls continue to tell a different story about the race that, uh, than the state polls do. It can no longer be said that they have Mr. Obama behind. Okay, that goes on. So if you look at um, the forecast president, the pre well, I'm gonna, uh, he's got three different forecasts. One's for the Senate, one's for the president, one's for the president on November 6th. So I'm going to go to the November 6th one. He's got him winning 300.4 uh, electoral votes. You only need 270 to win. He gives him, uh, Silver gives him a 79% chance of winning. And he, but, and this is really interesting, oh, it's actually changed. The popular vote, he has him winning 50.5% and uh, Romney losing 48.6%. So pretty close to a margin of error there. And that's just, he had a jump in the last day there. Um, the states, state-by-state state probability. Right now, Silver has – everybody knows – I think everybody pretty much knows what the um, – you know, Washington, Oregon, California, New Mexico, Minnesota, Illinois, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, New York, Maine, Rhode Island, those are all solid blue. Um, red, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Arizona, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, North – then South Dakota, Montana, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, West Virginia, all solid red. So you got to look at Florida. I think Obama's going to win. I mean, I think uh, Romney's going to win Florida. But you got Florida, you got North Carolina. I think Romney's going to win North Carolina. Okay. That, just so we know what the state by state probability are for the moment. Right now, Silver has Nevada leaning Obama, Colorado leaning Obama, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio and Virginia and New Hampshire all leaning Obama, Florida and North Carolina leaning Romney, So, which would have Obama winning 300 electoral votes. 
Okay, so now I'm going to pop over to the electoral map of CNN, my new favorite toy, and we're going to say, look at what CNN's map is. CNN says Nevada's a toss-up, and Colorado's a toss-up, and Wisconsin's a toss-up. Iowa, Ohio, Virginia, New Hampshire, Florida. A lot more toss-ups according to CNN's electoral map than according to Nate Silver at 538. Let's look at Castellano, Alex Castellano. He's got, um, he's got Nevada, Iowa, Wisconsin. That's a big one. Wisconsin just went toss-up recently. Uh, Nevada, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio, New Hampshire. Those are his only toss-ups. He gives Colorado, Minnesota, Pennsylvania leaning Obama. Florida, Virginia leaning Romney. Let's look at, uh, so it's a mostly red map, but it only gets Romney to 248 and Obama to 246 without the toss-ups. So let's look at uh, Carville's picks. Carville only has toss-ups in Colorado, Iowa, and Florida. And Arizona is the only leaning Romney. Everything else, he's either got Obama or leaning Obama. So there you go for a Democrat. Now let's go to Sean. Here's where in the last few minutes of the show I make a, well, I don't know if I'm going to make a prediction. Let's see what my map is going to look like. All right. Hold on. Um, I'm going to go back out and come back in. This is fun. I feel very powerful. I ought to be on CNN. Uh, my pick. No, let's, okay, my picks. I'm going to give Obama Nevada. I'm going to give Romney Arizona. I'm going to give, okay, I'm going to give Romney Florida. And uh, I'm going to give Obama Iowa. Okay, there's over. Okay, uh, I'm going to give him uh, Michigan. Well, let's leave Wisconsin in the toss-up. That's scary. For uh, Okay, all right, to me, Okay, you know what? I'm going to give Obama Colorado, and I'm going to um, give him – let's get that in toss-up. I think Pennsylvania and Ohio are where it's at. Let's see, Wisconsin. Okay, so if Obama wins Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado, keeps Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, and Michigan – Give him Virginia and then the rest of the Northeast, including New Hampshire. But you give Romney uh, Florida and North Carolina. It really comes down to three states. Ohio, obviously, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. So I think the things to listen to are Virginia I think Virginia and Wisconsin are kind of similar. Like, doesn't shouldn't Virginia lean uh, Romney? And Wisconsin should lean Obama. So I think those are interesting. But those four states. Sean Aston says, watch Wisconsin, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Like a lot of people. But I'm giving Obama Colorado, and I'm giving Florida to uh, Romney. Okay. I think if uh, Obama wins two of them, any two of them he wins. Let's see. Even, 
Even if Romney wins Pennsylvania and Ohio, Obama still wins if you give him Virginia and Wisconsin. Ha. I'm going to keep playing with this for the next five days. I highly recommend you too. If you're listening to this show, it's because you like politics and stuff. And at this point, all of the things that mean so much to us, to all of us, the ability to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves healthy, to educate ourselves, to build a community that's as inspiring and fulfilling for as many of us as possible, to design a future that is consistent with our ambition and our ideals, like all of that, knowing all of that, I think the next few days are about talking to the people you know, talking to people you don't know, encouraging people to vote. If everybody within the sound of my voice brings one person to the polls, I don't know. It's better than not bringing that person to the polls. I guess it depends on how they vote. No, the <laughs> I'm just saying this is an exciting moment, and uh, and I'll be watching very closely, and you all will be watching closely. Maybe I'll jump on the air um, uh, election night or maybe the night beforehand, see what's shaken out at the last minute. When I started wanting to do this show, I, I knew that we were in an election year. And I think in my mind, if we would have, if I would have had Francisco and Karen and Johnny Ice a lot sooner or had that uh, professional uh, political booker there, we might have been able to speak to, um, might have had even more interviews with really cool people like some of the people we've had. Um, but I'm proud of the fact that we've stayed on the air. We keep showing up. We keep doing it. We keep thinking through these issues. We keep talking about them. It makes me feel proud. It makes me feel happy. When I think about this election season, I haven't been out campaigning. I haven't been uh, volunteering. I've been What I've been doing to contribute is hosting this show and trying to um, – facilitate a dialogue that is that is constructive. Everyone knows that I'm a Democrat. Everyone knows that I support Barack Obama. I'll be rooting very hard for him to win the election um, on on the 6th. Um, I'm voting for him. Um, so it's clear that that's who I am and that's what I do. But I also honor Brett and uh, Linda and everyone on both sides who participate in this show who contribute to a discussion, who are as open-minded as they can be, knowing that they, uh, not just you two, but everyone, knowing that uh, we ha all have strong opinions. and um, But I think we have demonstrated that we can be consistently respectful over months and months. I think we've done like 20 shows now or more. And uh, and that's it. So it's it's the Super Bowl. It's the, it's the Stanley Cup. It's... Um, the Oscars, we've got presidential, and there's a lot of other a lot of other ballot stuff initiatives. I'm starting to focus on what I need to do for, in California, but uh, so please pay close attention. You got a few days left to learn what the initiatives are in your locale. Um, look, spend a few minutes and look up your local representatives and who you're going to vote for. Um, take it seriously, as I'm going to take it seriously with my wife, and uh, uh, vote your conscience. Godspeed to all of us. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, God bless America. <laughs> See you all next time on Vox Populi.
You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.